Movie Wars. Episode 0011. Gladiator and Braveheart. Um, they can take our lives, but they will never take our podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 0011 of the Movie Wars. We got to figure out how to say the... Whoa, 11. I know, now that we're into the... uh, No, man. Let's keep it binary always. Yeah. Well, we're fixing to fight like warrior poets and like Scotsmen. Is that how he says it? We're going to fight like warrior poets and Scotsmen. I'm your host, Kyle. I am a fan of movies, a podcaster of Movie Wars. My name is Drew, and I will have my vengeance. And my name is Phil. And you forgot again. No, he gave us the thumbs down. Oh, he gave us the thumbs down. It's a podcast, so it doesn't (laughs) really do anybody. I I knew I was waiting for you guys to tell everybody what was going on. He just gave us the Commodus. He just hit us with quivering in the middle, quivering, quivering. And kill him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kill him. So Commodus is so cringy. But uh, we got a crazy war today. We actually have a war war today. We're talking about two movies with lots of war in them. We're talking about Gladiator and Braveheart. Um, Drew postulated this one a, a while ago. Just crazy. This is, it Good felt word. like postulated. Yeah, postulated. He pontificated us after postulating. <laughs> and Proliferating. Uh, and these were, it was really interesting. This is kind of new territory for me. I've seen both these movies, but they're not in my like lore, you know, in terms of my top 50. But, uh, <laughs> Oh really? No, really enjoyed it. And, uh, and on top of that, we're drinking scotch. So we have a resident scotch expert named Phil here who joined us. Um, same Phil. Uh, where are we drinking? So what area? So tell us about why you picked the scotch and what area in Braveheart it represents. Oh, let me get this. Hold on. Well, yeah, pop that. Yeah, Ooh, like that. that was disappointing. Um, anyway, well, unfortunately, we don't actually have any lowland scotch here today because I was going to run... <laughs> I was gonna run to the to the store on the way out here and didn't have time, so I brought the next best thing, just good scotch. Or you, Got, one could argue that is the best thing. Yeah, exactly. Although mm-hmm. uh, the scot, I was gonna get a bottle of uh, Akintoshin, which is from the Lowland region of Scotland, where William Wallace is allegedly from. I think Johnny Walker is blended in that area also, and the Lowlands are known for their blending prowess when it comes to scotch. But tonight we've got a bottle of Glenrothes Whiskey Makers, uh, Brooklyn. Port Charlotte 10 year and Johnny Walker Black. So there you go. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. You said allegedly, is we don't, that's not everything that I, because I looked that up, everything that I saw kind of, it seemed they were like, this is where we think he was born. Yeah. It was like the the lowland area and everybody was kind of in agreement on that, which I'm guessing means that's probably where he was born. Pretty much every historian on the special features for Braveheart agree that about over half of the details we have are probably hypothetical. So it's, you know, he's a great legend and, and he's has his own day in Scotland. He's definitely, you know, beloved, but a lot of it is legend. I was watching these and I'm always sitting there thinking Drew picks the matchup and I'm like, how am I going to connect these movies? And, you know, I had this really base level thought. These movies are why movies exist. They are transporting us to a time that we don't know about. Even though Gladiator is a fictionalized version, Commodus is a real person. You know, some of the characters that are in Gladiator are based on real people. Maximus is fictional, but there's a lot of real stuff in there. You don't really realize it till you watch the special features for both these films, but Ridley Scott did so much work to transport us to Rome. Even though it's a fictionalized version of a reality, he had a whole board of historians helping him make decisions to make sure it was as accurate as possible. And also, a lot of the actors in Braveheart are Scottish. They were so proud to feel represented. But being transported back to a place that we don't know about is really interesting because I was thinking about, I, was, I always wondered, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln. It's like, how did he how did he pick his voice? We don't have any recordings of Lincoln. Lincoln died way before any recording could happen. He read history books. He analyzed. He His whole assumption of how he sounds was based on his reading of history and him kind of 
working through that character model. Well, they also take a clay cast of their throats, of the dead person's mm. throat, and then they blow air through ah. it. They did that to dead Lincoln, and then they blew mm. some air through it. And the then, Esophagus Museum. Yeah, yeah I've heard exactly. of that. Totally made that up. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. that's real. The that is so museum. twisted. Yeah, they, like, put, they move it around, and it's like Mars Garden 20 years ago. <laughs> but it's sad to think about the moment that the moment that Booth shot Lincoln, someone was like, someone save his esophagus! Yeah, we need to know what he sounds Pres- like 200 years from it. now. You know, what was most interesting to me is that the sword and sandal genre is a genre that is all throughout film history. There was always an interest in somehow depicting ancient cultures, Roman cultures, but the thing was is that they were always really bent on historical accuracy, unless we're talking about Caligula, which is a movie I've never seen, nor do I want to see it. You know, so some of the films that are notable in the genre are Spartacus, Son of Samson, you know, these are those sword and sandal films. But Ridley Scott said, you know, the, one of the reasons these movies fail is because, you know, when he says fail, you know, in his eyes, as in he's making this epic and he kind of used that as a as a kind of an ancient genre. The difference with Gladiator was he wanted to capture the modern human spirit in these movies. He wanted Maximus to be a reflection of us now. So yes, the setting is Rome, it's gladiators, it's violent, it's warfare, but there's this reflection of us. And if you really think about it, I think we would say we've advanced as a, as a society and we've progressed, but we still have a thirst for blood sport you know it's not it's not gladiators but I mean UFC is uh, one of the most popular sports one of the fastest growing sports football Um, hockey there's a weird thirst in us and maybe even more so I mean you could maybe there's probably a psychologist out there that's done the study but this on Reddit yeah on Reddit he's on Reddit Dr. Reddit Phil you're a big Reddit fan right love Reddit I love telling the the, the movie wars Reddit yeah people on Reddit they they can choke on William Wallace's severed and burned genitals yeah Yeah, and this is real, and you keep yeah. this in the podcast. The guy that, that called me fat, there's a guy on Reddit who called me fat. I posted one of our funny videos that I used to make for the podcast. A guy called me fat and said, I need to stop eating steak. So Good for, yeah. Yeah, good for you. Steak is what makes people fat. Yeah, I hope yeah, you feel good about your that's decision. That's what it is. Stop eating f- steak. What do you want him to eat? Fucking tempeh burgers? You- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a podcaster. I'm not a fitness god. But, uh, you know, so he wanted to capture that human spirit. And, and if you think about it, these characters really, because I've watched Spartacus, and like, yeah, it is kind of history. It's kind of cheesy. And yeah, it captures kind of the, almost the champion aspect of it. You know, it's always got this Olympic vibe when you're watching these older uh, movies focused on this time period. But I love how Maximus is us, even though he's a general. You're watching him, you just are cheering for him. Mel Gibson. I I can't relate to this time period. I've never been in war. Uh, I've never seen anything like what they're experiencing trying to get their freedom. Yeah. But for some reason, I'm watching Braveheart. I'm like, I'm with you, William Wallace. 100%. Like, I want to go with you. I felt confronted watching these movies. I don't know about you guys, but it was kind of like, it's like a shocking especially Braveheart because it's it's more based in reality but it was shocking to me it was just like history is painted in blood and and not that there's not blood and warfare around the world there's all kinds of terrible blood drenched things that happen around the world today but I think this was the nature of the times that are being depicted in these movies it was about warfare it was about domination you got the Mongols you got you know you know history is just covered in blood and whenever I'm confronted with this reality that like we're not actually that far removed from it either and we still like our blood sport you know I felt like I had to you know just being a fan, but also I felt like just as a person and spiritually, I was like confronted with this, like this brutality is in us. You know, it's tampered, but this brutality exists, you know? Yeah, because it hasn't been long enough for our human DNA to evolve, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, much further than when this happened. And that's why we call people bitches on Modern Warfare Online.
online. That's that blood sport coming out. That blood sport. No, it's a great example. And that's a, that's actually a specific example Ridley Scott uses in special features. Is like, you ever play a video game, a war video game? It's like, we love this stuff. Yeah, totally. <laughs> we just we just can't stomach we killing We just don't want to deal with the social consequences. So let's kick it off. Drew, what are your experiences with these movies? I watched Braveheart when I was seven <laughs> Years young. I'm wow. not. I am not kidding. Here, I believe so. That. Here's the thing about my parents: they wouldn't let me watch dirty, like vulgar, crass things when I was younger. But they would let me dive as deep as I wanted into historical films, historical show, anything that quote unquote was educational. They'd historical be all about. films or Lord of the Rings, right? Because hey! that's every Christian household that's man. Right. They're like, not yeah, Harry, Potter. Harry Potter's bad, but let's like <laughs> right. let you play with you know these things that are far darker in in Lord of the Rings because that's cool. Shout out to all you evangelicals out there. Yeah, you know what we're talking about, <laughs> 90s kids. You can't watch play magic, but, you know, let's watch, you know, these elves chant things and kill rock monsters with <laughs> demon fire. Super different. Yeah. Super, super different. It's because C.S. not C.S. Lewis. That's another J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. Stephen King. J.R.R. Tolkien. Because so I remember feeling absolutely horrified watch as a kid watching Braveheart as uh, you know who wouldn't so going into this viewing for the podcast I was like okay this is you know I watched it when I was little it's going to be a lot different as an adult it was horrifying the emotional weight of some of the gruesome violence it just it made me feel so sad and maybe it truly did traumatize me a little bit when I was younger and so I was carrying some of that in but just you know with the the throat slitting of his his wife and you know when he was drawn and quartered it was just absolutely difficult to watch and I can't I can't believe I watched it before I was 15 or 16 like it's it's crazy but uh just interesting film I never I was never bored I was you know there was moments I'm like okay the pacing dragged a little here but I was still truly invested in the character and and what was going on between the you know but England and Scotland and um, it's just a really really great film Gladiator we first got a blue or a DVD player right when Gladiator hit and Mm -hmm. so my family this was the first movie that we owned uh, on DVD and we were a Russell Crowe household. We just were obsessed with Russell Crowe and his performance in this movie and this movie itself. We watched it several times. And yeah, it was also, it had its emotional weighty moments, but I was a little bit older. And mm. I, I think the quotable aspect of it made it so memorable. Like it a just, gladiator. Like, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. stuck with me because of all the qu- the quotable, yes. memeable lines. I think that's why I love this movie so much. And also there's like this cool kind of spiritual element about the afterlife and, you know, that was those were themes that I were important mm-hmm. in our house growing up. So, uh, like Drew, I saw Braveheart pretty young, and I think I only maybe saw it once or twice. I don't, I didn't remember as much about this movie as I thought I did. As, as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't remember any of this film. I remember liking it as a kid, but you know, like Drew said, it's like, why were we allowed to watch this as children? This was a that was a serious movie covering a serious topic from history. It doesn't matter that it happened like seven hundred years ago. I mean, I'm, I'm glad somebody made a film about it because I feel like those things need to be remembered because, you know, Braveheart is, is reflected in our society over and over again in other ways, like people fighting for independence and mm-hmm. it's, you know, reflective of the American story and all that stuff, once again, against Great Britain, except in the case of Scotland, they share land with them physically. So yeah, watching this again, I remember loving it as a kid, watching it again. I didn't love the movie itself as much this time around, but I did love the story and I loved what they were trying to do with it. Gladiator, another one. Saw that pretty young. Didn't really remember much about it. Thoroughly enjoyed watching it for this podcast. Like, I want to buy that movie 
on 4K and, and watch it again because I just couldn't believe how good that movie was and how much it stood up. And I think when that came out, it was kind of done a disservice because it was kind of in the big, dumb blockbuster phase of Hollywood where everything <laughs> was... It That's was so it was the Michael Bay age and like everything was larger than life and it it might have gotten lost in that shuffle. I was gonna say it started or at least it reignited a genre because like you mentioned, Kyle, you know the sword and sandal thing was a big deal in the sixties and seventies, mm -hmm. but then it kind of collapsed after I think Cleopatra was like the final you know movie of that genre that was yeah of interest and it sucked and so <laughs> that genre just kind of went away. Just similar to like why westerns went away and film noir. Yeah, like there were there were genres that just kind of like they had their time and they went away. So Scott really took a risk here. Like, I'm going to bring this back and, mm -hmm. you know, the studios are apprehensive about that style of film. Yeah. But then after it was so successful, then you saw Troy and the 300 yes. and Kingdom of Heaven. And, you know, it started to kind of spawn a whole series of similar movies. So Yeah. But man, Gladiator, watching that again, it really stood up in my opinion. And the thing I loved about it, and this to me is the mark of a really great and enjoyable film, it's when it can tell a great story, really nail the visuals and make you feel like you're a part of a historical moment while also being fun to watch and enjoyable to, to watch and, and make you feel something emotionally. Like you're watching that movie and you're just like behind Maximus the whole time and you're, you hate the emperor of Rome because he's a little bitch and it, he's just got such a shitty attitude. And this guy like wants to be honored so badly and you just want him to be gone. And so it, it just like hits on all of the emotional levels as a movie viewer. And man, I, I don't know that I've enjoyed a movie as thoroughly on the spectrum of enjoyment as much as I did with Gladiator. Like, wow. it hit every, just everything that I want to see in a movie. I'll put it this way. It did the big budget thing right. Like, it mm. didn't shortchange the story or the feeling that you got from watching a great movie while it also, you know, kind of waved its gigantic budget around all over the place the entire time. Like, it did the budget didn't get in the way. Well said. And in the year 2000, never was I like, God, this movie's old. Like, yeah, I, I totally forgot. So like, it didn't occur to me that the movie was old. It didn't occur to me that it was new. It didn't occur to me that it was 20 years old. Like it just, exactly. It was just a great story. And yeah. that I think that's, yeah. Yeah, because in, I, I have an issue sometimes with some big budget movies. In a lot of ways, it's a way to cover up for inferior writing or storytelling or acting. But that didn't happen with Gladiator. Like it, it hit on all the all the things you want to see in a great movie and also was over the top visually and, and budgetarily. So yeah, I, that's, I really, really appreciate when a filmmaker can do that. Yeah, and while you were talking, I looked up some of the movies that were out in 2000 it's it's interesting to see that you know there's some really good classics like Aaron Brockovich and The Cell then you got like The Patriot came out Traffic Perfect Storm yeah Pitch Black <laughs> with Vin Diesel I mean you're right there a is a there, oh X was. the first X-Men Gone in 60 yeah, Seconds yeah it was it was the big budget yeah. like you know possibly big dumb Hollywood era we were in it at that point mm -hmm. or well or starting to get back in is that a well known thing the no big, it's, dumb it's a me thing it's like <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like we're, we're back in it now because like we're seeing in theaters now like their studios aren't taking as many chances anymore they know what yeah, works rehash so we're we're just yeah re we're yep. everything is a rehash everything is like nobody's gonna come see it unless it's like in Dolby Atmos and blowing your mm -hmm. eardrums out and all that stuff but like don't get me wrong love Dolby Atmos but I feel like we're kind of in that again so I'd love to see some movies really capitalize on the storytelling and the acting and the, and the big budget like all in one really it seems like we should see a lot more movies
movies like this because this type of movie is the only kind of the spectacle type film is the only movie that could really it's bring, impressive bring in the dollars yeah. at a at a big Dolby theater setting or something like that because with streaming it's like it's kind of sucked up all the smaller films like, yeah it doesn't make any sense to put those movies in theaters so yeah <clears throat> you'd think we'd see more of these but Gladiator set a trend of you know we talked about the sword and sandal up until Gladiator and then Troy came out and then Alexander and like I mean I liked Troy but it was not Troy even, was good I, yeah I, I'm a, I'm a low key Troy fan. yeah I know but a lot of people hated on it it wasn't yeah in that's the what same, I, re- I remember people yeah. hating on it hard but people did hate on it and it wasn't yeah, and it did. wasn't in the same scale I mean Gladiator scale and we'll get into it later but the the scale is it huge. was immersive it was an it immersive, was immersive film which is hard to do yeah it set a trend that it just wasn't easy for those l- other films to live up to I mean Oliver Stone who is a classic director with Alexander I mean he couldn't replicate it even though he tried with the scale well, I mean even think uh, Star Wars Episode One came out a year prior and that mm-hmm. movie was kind of silly like and it, it tried to do the big scale thing in Immerse You but like it just didn't land and the difference in the CGI between you know the, the pod racing scenes com- you compare that a year later to Gladiator it's not even close yeah. no I mean, Gladiator the CGI in yeah. the Coliseum is unbelievable because the Coliseum only uh, there's only one level still standing so when they were shooting that yeah. plus those 360 shots like that's really hard to do yeah. I'm not a filmmaker but mm-hmm. when you're panning around like that and all these things are moving at different scales mm-hmm. and different speeds and different rates and to make it yeah. look believable that's yeah, that, that was the thing. It was I were like really hanging on Gladiator a while, but I w- I just remember watching it for this podcast, thinking like, God, this movie is just a joy to look at. Mm-hmm. Like, forget the rest of it; it's just nice to look at. Like, it's it, got a sheen to it. That's oh, the word I yeah. would use. There's a sheen that I can't describe, but it's like a filter or it's a it's a look. A like, Charlie sheen. It's filled with PCP. <laughs> I always had a weird aversion to historical drama or war films. Like, I never was, like, excited to see Saving dragons. Private Ryan. What was that? Because of dragons. Dragons. Yeah, yeah if, if if y'all don't know this, I don't like... Dra- I didn't used to like dragons, but now I love dragons. It's weird. It's a weird thing. <laughs> but, uh... Thank Neat. You, thank you, Witcher 3. <laughs> I want to thank the Witcher 3. But I, uh... You know, I, I just... Kind of some of what Phil said with there was this trend in film which we're getting beat over the head with now, which is the visual grandiosity of of the presentation minus story, it felt like. And and I've said it so many times on this podcast, but I'm a Scorsese guy. I love the zooming in on characters. I love the writing. I love character studies. And a Scorsese lifer, you might say. I might yeah. say I'm a lifer. I'm he a, might be your first, second, and third favorite director. Correct. On correct. your list of top 50 directors. That has 100 directors on it. <laughs> which is amazing. But um, I so I, I did watch Gladiator in college. I didn't appreciate it at the time. What's funny is I never connected. I was always a diehard Alien fan, but I, I guess at the time I didn't care enough about directors yet to think that, oh, Ridley Scott directed Alien and now he's directing this. Like, it, that didn't excite me at the time. Now I'm like, woo! what a crazy world we live in. And then Braveheart, I did watch when I was younger, but I, I, I this is going to sound really weird. I thought it was boring when I was a kid. I know it's really violent, but you have to remember, I saw RoboCop when I was six. So I was like, there are no robots in this movie. Yeah. Screw this. I mean, I know they're decapitating people, but I mean, they blew off a guy's hand in RoboCop. You're not going to, you're not going to do that. I want to see an exploding appendage. Maybe, and maybe that speaks more about how desensitized I am, but you know, watching them for the podcast changed for me. I'm older. I'm 
I'm Heiser. Heiser. I'm Heiser. He adds H's to his W words. I've been flipped into shape. Um, But I I just, I had a really big uh, revelation that the scale of these films is crazy, and the special features definitely confirm that. So, you know, like I said, I've grown as a film lover. I do love Saving Private Ryan now. I'm okay with historical drama and depictions of history, but at the time, I don't know if it's because I hated school, and so I thought, oh, that's based on not robots and Mars. Okay, never mind. Um, But now I definitely have a massive appreciation for it. I'm glad you two had more experience than I do. But yeah, um, let's get into some randos. Rando. Rando. Randope. That's what uh, we should be calling Randope. Dope. They dope. When they approached Ridley Scott for Gladiator, the way they did it was is they put a painting on his desk called Thumbs Down Painted, and I'm going to ruin this. I think it's French name. Jean-Leon Jerome. And if you don't... if you're Leon. listening to the pod, take, go Google it. Thumbs down. Um, it's a really interesting painting. It's It looks like an oil painting. And it's a it's a p- depiction of a gladiator with that helmet, that prestigious face cage yes. helmet, no shirt on. His foot is on the neck of a victim, and he's looking to the emperor, and all the people are just thumbs down. And just even though it's a painting, so cool. after watching Gladiator, it just felt very like, wow, like that's grotesque. Like they're just, <clears> they can't <throat> wait to see him execute this dude. Yeah. And so, for sport. Yeah. yeah. For sport. Pure entertainment. And because Ridley Scott at first, he was like, I don't know. And then, you know, they didn't have much of a script. They kind of had half a script, so they didn't have a lot Are to give him. you saying the studio was doing this? Studio, Worlds Apart. I think it was Worlds Apart. Is yeah, what... I want to be presented with a project that way. Someone just drops a painting yeah. on my desk. <laughs> they don't tell me what it means. Just, and I'm just like, just oh. consider it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, think about what's in this painting and get back to us in three days. <laughs> yeah. And he saw it and he got it. He saw it. And that's what, that's actually what hooked him. And that's what convinced him to take it. Cause it would have freaking hooked me too. Yeah. And there's, cause there's kind of this, you know, and he talks about it that he says, this is the most invigorated I had been to make a movie since Blade Runner. And you can tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'll call some, it a comeback, but wow. Yeah. He, that, he pulled some, needed something passion in that film he he went all out i mean to think he went from the spaceship and alien which is a corridor film and has a very small cast and a guy in a rubber suit to this scale i mean the dude made the transition and so along those lines one of the the books they used to get a lot of the historical detail was a book called those about to die i didn't get to read that for this one because i didn't actually catch on to that till later i know I know. Kyle. I know. Daniel P. Mannix is the author. And uh, he, Ridley Scott, like I said earlier, here's another rando, had a board of historians advising him. So he wanted historical accuracy, even though there was an element of fictionalization to it. There are some real characters, Commodus, Aurelius, like we said earlier. But yeah. he wanted it to look like he thought the historians said it would, um, which I think is really cool. I love that that level of detail. That's so hot. <laughs> this <laughs> fact is crazy. This is really kind of half the movie rando and half real rando, but the animals, when they use the tigers and they have all the animals, they say that the extinction of several animals was due to gladiator culture. They were bringing in Oh, for like back in the day. Yeah, they were, so whether they were part of the fight or part of the, the gladiator war or if they were just killing them, they would bring exotic animals in droves and just massacre them in so the arenas. Sounds on brand. The yeah, Roman- that was a, it was a whole business. There were like entities that would supply animals for entertainment purposes to kill That's actual insane. humans. Mm-hmm. It's wild. The Roman Empire definitely ruled the world and knew it. Yeah. Like they didn't care. They you know what's better than a cockfight? A bald eagle fight. C- tie a couple of daggers to some bald eagles and set them loose in a cage. <laughs> then we could eat eagle burgers they just afterwards. Fly around and slice each other. Yeah. Like what? In the world. Have you ever had Eagle Burger? Mm. No. I Tastes haven't. like freedom. <laughs> That's good. That, yeah, yeah, keep it. Keep that one. Make rum great again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> Murga. 
Um, <laughs> you just walk around wearing your Murga helmet, you know, and everybody's like, <laughs> I'm just thinking of a, a red Rome helmet with it's like a slogan. <laughs> Make gladiators great again. Speaking of animals, they wanted a, cause this was based on a true interaction they read about. They wanted to put a rhino in the Coliseum and they really wanted to achieve it. They evaluated all the methods. So at first they were like, what if we put real rhinos? And like, that's not going to happen because they are like the most, some of the most dangerous creatures in the world. But they said it would cost an estimated $3 million to use like a hybrid of real rhino footage and a CGI rhino. And they are there are trained rhinos in the world. I don't know how, but there are trained rhinos. And oh, they, they, between CGI and using the trained rhinos, $3 million just for like one Good rhino scene. Lord. It's just know. money, guys. Does that add to the film? Do, do you think it's worth an f- extra five minutes to see a rhino with like a gladiator gear on like knocking the shit out of if, people? Here's the thing, though. If you start asking that question, which I guess you have to if you're making films, but like, yeah, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it necessary to have a rebuild the Coliseum and CGI? And hang on a second. This is a good cork pop right here. Ooh, oh, that was a good. You got the squeak out of it. Um, it's like, let's bring in the shark tank. I, I feel like, like, do we need Russell Crowe or can we just bring in like yeah, Patrick can Wilson? Can we bring in his <laughs> ugly brother who's in his band? Who just whatever. got out of rehab? Pay that person half and yeah. bring in the fucking rhinos. They were ahead of the game with uh, Joaquin. We Joe, should talk about Braveheart during this podcast. Joe Ashton, too. We should. Onyx. We'll get some randos. These are just gladiator randos, baby. For filming, they went through 10,000 arrows. They made 16,000 flaming arrows, 10,000 normal arrows, and they went through those in four days. Wow. And who's making arrows in the year 2000. Oh, I everyone's mean. making arrows now. <laughs> I thought this was cool, and forgive me, I, I can't remember. I watched Gladiator three weeks ago, so, because we had to skip a week. I think it's Tiger is his name. He's the guy that fights with the tigers that come out of the holes. He used a sword called the Thresher Sword, and the Thresher Sword was made to create an illusion, so it, straight on, it's made to look like a normal sword, but from the side, it has a curve, and the goal is, is so that your opponent never knows actually where the crook of the sword is. So straight on, it looks like a sword, but it's actually crook. I just thought that was amazing. Their weapons department was insane for this movie. They had a whole team of people making real, historically accurate weapons, and when they trained them, they start off with wood, and then they moved to metal. They weren't sharp, but they they then used metal, actual metal weapons, and people did get hurt. Maxim- a lot. Yeah, Maximus partner that he gets chained to at the very, in the beginning. Yes, gosh, what he, was his name? That actor got hurt. Um, someone accidentally missed, because everything was choreographed. Everything that you That's see. Right. That is, right. Juba is his name in the movie, and yeah. I, I'm going to slaughter that, and I... Oh, I Simon Hansu. That's yeah. right. Thank you, because I was going to say it wrong. Yes. Um, that could have been wrong, too. But yeah. I think he got right. a sword to the head. Dang, he bled. They had to stop down shooting for like like for two hours and stitch him up. So the, the weapons department made an effort to make real historic weapons because um, they wanted that clank. They wanted that iron on iron sound. Last rando for Gladiator. All the attire was made by hand. So the way they filmed the beginning war. Yeah. Ridley Scott was like, we're going to do it all. He was like, he I haven't made a good too. movie since Blade Runner. We're going to do it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, bring the rum. And Bring me your best stewardess. <laughs> Make su- everything. Su- 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 what's a s- someone that sews? Oh, seamstress. Seamstress. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, Ridley, stewardess. we made 16,000 arrows for the whole movie. Shoot them all now. Yeah. I want them gone <laughs> now. Yeah, Four bring, me another, bring me another match tomorrow. <laughs> I need another 16,000 stat. But all the, so the way they filmed that first battle scene where you're first introduced to Maximus is 3,000 people. Now, they did multiply it, but they started off with like- Do movies use that many people anymore? I just don't feel like they do. I don't know. It's so CGI. Like I feel like it's all, it, it's like to they tried bring to bring costs down. It's, yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. They tried the CGI, so they did start with smaller groups. So they did have like groups of 10 and 20 and 100. And then they did multiply it and Ridley Scott hated it. He was like, that doesn't look. Thank you, Ridley Scott. He was like, that you doesn't were... even look real. They were like, bring 3,000 people. And then they made handmade 3,000 costumes. Dude, Ridley's breaking into my top wow. 1,000 directors with this film. Oh, bro. The way, bro. I mean, just. He's, he's working his way up. He's about. Just simply know, by being born, he's broken into your top 100. 853rd, 154th, a- maybe? Easily. I mean, yeah. by the end of this podcast, he may even be top 500. That's a good range. Yeah. That's a good range. Well, and I heard just doing some research for this podcast, I read that there were five or six different choreography moves in the battles. And then each person, like they all knew them and they would, like the director would call out what move three, which one to do. Yeah. Like they were all assigned. So it looked like utter chaos, just swords and Mm -hmm. arrows and things, you know, just battle happening. God, that's so good. But it was all choreographed. Because they had them in pods, big pods. Yeah. So like you, you know, like if you're this, you do this move. If you're this, you do this move. If you're this, you do this, you know, action. And then it just looked like utter chaos, but it was all planned. And it looks amazing. And it it also, that's why this movie holds up. And it's the same reason why the old Star Wars films, I keep going back to Star Wars because, you know, one of my favorite franchises in the world, top 70 for me. It's an easy reference point because there's a a, a lot of change over the course of that that, uh, series. But it's why the old Star Wars films from the 70s look better than the ones from the 90s and the 2000s. It's because practical effects with people being filmed on camera and items being filmed on camera are not going to age. It just looks right. It looks like what you expect as, you know. So having 3,000 people on set is going to look amazing in 50 years because 3,000 people is 3,000 people, whereas like a bunch of CGI sprites is going to look shitty at some point. Last rando, Oliver Reed, who played Proximo, classic actor, died before the film was completed. So they had to CGI his face. He was so good. I know. Yeah, they actually did that from Shadows and what was that last line he did when he died? That was a line he said in a random take at another in another scene that they ended up using. Oh, and amazing. They recolored the background and used body mm. doubles like for the back of his head, and it was yeah. They yeah. Had, basically had to make lemonade. Yeah, really interesting story about Oliver Reed. He was considered, a, you know, a classical heralded actor, had a drinking problem, would drink on set. And Ridley Scott called him to read. And in the acting world, really seasoned great actors a lot of times don't like to read for parts because they think you should just want it, me to be this part based on my body of work. And he had an amazing body of work. And so Ridley Scott calls him and then calls his agent and say, yeah, we want you to come in and read for Proximo. And he was like, F that guy. He's like, I'm not reading for anything. He's like, I don't care. I don't care if it's Ridley Scott. Screw Ridley Scott. And then I think a week goes by and his agent calls him. He's like, are you sure you don't want to do Gladiator? And he's like, oh, it's Ridley Scott. I guess I'll come in and read. And what's end up, what ends up happening is that Proximo becomes Ridley Scott's favorite character. Dude, he, I mean, he was my favorite. He yes. had, for a secondary character, he had a hell of an arc in that film. Like, yeah. I loved how they unveiled who he was as the movie went on. And I think, based again, I did some research for this podcast. I think he knew he was dying when he felt when they filmed this. I didn't know that part. God, there are a lot of people giving it their all in this movie. Yeah, so he was in a very real way laying it all out like he knew this was the last thing hell of a performance randos for braveheart (laughs) so drew and i were texting because we kind of started watching braveheart at around the same time uh, of the evening left me out as always god damn i think you were out of town yeah whatever that's what texting is for (laughs) you don't have to have somebody in town to text i text people (laughs) who live in bangkok all the time oh yeah a lot of friends in bangkok huh what do they do for a living what do you think (laughs) but one of the things we were we were talking about it's like how does how does mel gibson 
can A, lead act this and be the director? It, it's not like this is a small scale indie film. He's I have both, some opinions on this, but we can save it okay. for another yeah, part of the podcast. We'll get to that. But one of the things that was really interesting about the special features, they they doted on him as a director so much. This was his second directorial film. And they one of the things he did is he didn't make anyone read for a part. Nobody read. He just met with them over coffee or a beer. He's like, hey, you want a beer or a scotch? And he just talked to him. He's like, okay, cool. You're going to be this person. You want a beer? No one read a for a part. All right, another rando. So Mel Gibson, he wanted the actors to capture what they wanted. So it's interesting. He's a young director, hasn't directed a lot. But one of the, so one of the things the actors said they loved about him was that he would let them just do the take until they were done. And he didn't care about the shooting schedule. So he'd be like, people would be like, all right, we got to get to the next set. We got like 2,000 extras over here to do this and that. He'd be like, nope, he's not ready. He didn't. He doesn't feel like he's done. You just keep doing it until you're ready if you think you got it. And so he was just totally like all about like the actors getting, and maybe because he is an actor, but he wanted them to get the take they felt good about. It does seem like he would relate to those people on mm-hmm. a level that act- uh, directors who aren't actors are. However, I bet the rest of his crew absolutely hated <laughs> him. Yeah. And like, really? I'm standing here holding this boom mic for the 11th hour. Like, wrap it up. So I guess every film that Mel Gibson has directed, he he has a clown nose. Did you see the story about the clown nose? I did nose? see that. Yeah, I watched that extra feature. Brendan Gleeson, who um, I knew I had seen in a lot of movies I love, and then I got into his filmography, and I could not believe this guy's resume. I mean, he, he was in Gangs of New York, which is where I originally started to like mm. him, but he's been in, like, it's easier to say what he hasn't been in. He's done Harry Potter. He's done it all. But um, they did a take where his dad, he plays Hamish, and it's a scene where his dad is dying, and they did this really intense emotional take, um, and, and Mel Gibson was like, we, ha- we have to do it again, even though they literally just put it all out on the table. And so the guy yeah, that, the guy that, that played that. Hamish's dad, so they're doing it again. They're trying to, like, muster the emotion because, like, they literally just gave it all. And so the guy that plays his dad, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Is it Stephen? No, it's not Stephen. I don't remember who Hamish's dad is. But, sure, it's Stephen. But he's dying, so he closes his eyes early in the take to die. And he was in the extra features. He's talking about how he's, you got to slow your heart rate down because you're trying so hard to be dead. And he doesn't know, and he and he feels Gleason shaking and crying, and he feels I'm like, oh wow, he's really getting into it. And then they say cut, and he looks up, and he's got a red clown nose. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time that he thinks they've been doing this uber serious retake after already losing their minds doing the previous day. He's got the red cloud nose on. So, so, so far, Mel Gibson has pissed off the crew, and now he's pissed off the cast. Yeah, on a micro so, No wonder everybody hates Mel Gibson. Got yeah, it. and yes. th- was this a precursor to his unhingedness <laughs> that would come later in life? Watch the extra features. He always seems a little on edge, doesn't he? Doesn't he? He's always, like, rubbing his hair during interviews. He's, like, rubbing his head. He's like, yeah, yeah, I mean, you yes. know. Yes, it always feels like he's had too much coffee or maybe some Coke. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> he had the Coke because he's trying to come down from drinking too much <laughs> scotch the night before. <laughs> this film did take a physical toll on him. During the special features, he says, "I for three months, he could barely form a full sentence. He was so exhausted. They actually had days where they would just shut down production because between like being in the scenes, and he's not just kind of acting. I mean, he is the lead man and he's doing a great job. And he's so intense in the movie. He's, he's delivering these speeches. He's got all this energy. He's doing really great. And then he's got to direct it. They said sometimes if he got the opportunity to sit on a scene, he would nod off to sleep. Not because he wasn't interested, but he was just so exhausted. So there were days where they're like, you know what, I know we have this shooting schedule, but Mel can't even stand. We have to shut down for the day. I actually wondered about that. Mm -hmm. Because again, I'll say this every time, I'm not a filmmaker, I'm not a director, I'm not an actor. Mm -hmm. I don't know what these people go through. But it does seem, watching just the final product on the film, it would be absolutely insane, the amount of responsibility and the amount of things that come across your desk, quote unquote, as a director. Things you got to check, things you got to double check, things you got to triple 
check, things that you got to approve, disapprove, go back to, reach out, you know, people you got to reach out. Like the workload would be endless. And then you throw in that you're going to be the lead actor in a hundred million dollar. I mean, that, that I don't know how you do it. I mean, you got to have a great team around you, obviously, but that makes sense. And this is a cohesive film. I mean, I watched Ryan Gosling's <laughs> first film he directed. It's not very well known. I think it's called River City. I mean, more like River Shit. It is like a David Lynch knockoff. It is not cohesive. Ooh. Like, it's not even, it's and not David good. Lynch is not somebody you want to be knocking yeah. off because only David Lynch can do David Lynch. Yep. Even David Lynch doing his own shit is weird enough. Yeah. Like, we don't need someone copying it. But you want to, it had like 10 characters in it. You want to talk about scale. Yeah, you got Mel Gibson on his second film ever, like, doing this. It's unbelievable to me. Yeah. So kudos to you, Mel. I hope you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple more randos here about Braveheart. This was interesting. Believe it or not, they didn't give us the full Monty with the torture scene at the end when they when they drew and quartered him. Yeah, I, I know because there a lot was implied. They cut out a lot. I watched they, that this morning while I was doing squats. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> doing some squats. <laughs> doing some bro yeah. squats, yeah. man. They uh, did we get it. You work out. Yeah, the I work real out William Wallace. Now, we did talk about this. It's like 60% legend, 40% truth. Like a lot of historians say most of it's, you know, it's legend. But they did cut off his genitals and burn them in front of him. Like that, they didn't do that in the movie. But I'm glad they didn't show that. But again, we talked about earlier when we were doing the intro, like kids saw this stuff. Kids watch this stuff for entertainment. And they're like, well, that was their parents' fault. That was their parents' fault. For yeah, but what else are you going to do? You don't have Candy Crush. <laughs> Go play outside. That's quite literally Go play outside. Solid, Most people guys. lived outside. They ate like... garbage. That <laughs> was the scene that stuck with me as a kid. And it seemed like the, watching it as an adult, I was like, oh, they're being as they were leaving a lot conservative the as possible yeah. and still get the point across. And as a kid, I just remember feeling absolutely just devastated. Like, I can't mm. believe this. Is this really what happened? Like, I just... Did this happen to you guys when they start the disemboweling, even though it's off screen, when you know they shove them with the hook? Did you guys' abdomens kind of hurt? Like, like, yeah, I was like, doing squats, so I was oh, definitely oh, tense yeah. at that point. Yeah. You were already there. Yeah. yeah. I think this is the last rando, and I think this is the most interesting one. I've never heard a fact like this about a movie. They were doing test screenings of Braveheart, and they had a projectionist come down. A large amount of people got up and left the theater during this test filming of Braveheart. And it wasn't at the end. It was dirt at the, before the torture scene started. And bef originally, the guy leading the torture with the long blonde hair, um, I don't know if they call him an executioner or whatever, the leader of the drawing in the corner whatever they call him. He originally had a line that said, you are fixing to see the worst torturing you've ever seen. And when people said that, apparently the projectionist came down and told the film crew that was running the test screening that people felt so emotionally drained and exhausted by the time they got to the torture part that they got up and left because they couldn't handle it. They went back and cut the line out, that one line. They didn't change anything about the torture. They didn't change anything about the scene. They just cut out the one line. You're about to see the worst torture you've ever seen. Nobody got up and left in the next test screenings. Sometimes it's all about how you position <laughs> Something. Yeah, that, that, that it's crazy, right? Well, One I mean, line. it makes sense if you frame it up because it could. I mean, who knows how terrible it's going to be? Because yeah, well, especially in the '90s when I feel like cinema at the time was pushing the limits, like Saving Private Ryan. I remember when that came out, everybody was like, "That is the most intense 30 minutes of film I've ever seen." So in the '90s, people were kind of pushing those limits, and now you go back and watch Saving Private Ryan. And yeah, it's intense, but it's like, yeah, we've seen this before. And Gladiator yeah. emotionally was intense, but visually, ah, God. 
God, man, like Game of Thrones was far worse and people were all about that. Yeah. So we've well, become desensitized more, as yeah, a culture. Far more dis- But back then, I feel like it carries that, you know, people would have been pretty worn out by the time the torture scene comes. So when you're <laughs> implying like this is the worst torture you're ever going to see, people were like, yeah, no, I'm good. Well, and nowadays, like a lot of murders in the streets are filmed with an iPhone and it's on Twitter and you can watch it. Like we're just Faces so used to it. Like, things are just yeah. like so one of our sponsors. It's like, oh, this isn't real. Guys, if you're alone on a Friday night and all you want to do is just see some dead people, facesofdeath.com. No, thank you. You can order coffee mugs, underwear, and even candy bars. I'll stick to George Romero. Facesofdeath.com. All right, that's our first sponsorship, guys. Anyway, we're moving on. (laughs) This kind of feels weird to say because we're talking about movies with wars in them, but shall we war? (laughs) Steel on steel. Let's war. Hit. Ding. (laughs) America. Scotland. Rome. Yeah. Yeah. This is really cool. We're going to try something different today. So we put the scorecard in our, we have a private Facebook group with some amazing fans that love the show. And I put together a little survey monkey with a scorecard in it. So we are actually going to, we're going to compare our decisions with our fans. So Amen. if you want to be part of our next scorecard uh, and you want to put your opinions out there, uh, I will be posting these before we film them the week of. Go to our private Facebook group. I'll let you in. I'll post it. You go and you get your answers and we'll uh, we'll do some, some comparisons. And if you give it. Good enough answer. You might be featured. (laughs) We have. We've we've had two fans get questions on the show before. So Anne and Craig, they did. They got one on, um, uh, I think, episode seven. All right, here we go. We're going to start where we always start. Do you know where that is, gentlemen? Best top bill. Kewa, kewa, cast. Uh, I gotta go best top bill cast to clarify we're gonna say Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix for the gladiator and Mel Gibson by himself okay for Braveheart okay that said I don't know how you don't go with gladiator on this one uh, Russell Crowe took home the best actor award Joaquin was nominated it was a kind of a coming out party for both of those guys oh, Mel yeah. Gibson Mel Gibson was already loved and adored by America like he'd done a lot of stuff Mad Max Lethal Weapon like people, you know, he, he was already doing his thing. He was Mel freaking Gibson. He was kind yeah. of on to the next thing. He was trying to direct films, you yeah. know, and also, by the way, lead act in them. A little bit of a sex symbol, too, Mel Gibson in the early 90s. At that time, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Is that Those how you blue felt? blue eyes, yeah. That's how I felt. <laughs> he sexed, that's definitely how my mom felt. He sexed my symbol, I'll put it that way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, yeah, so uh, Gladiator, uh, uh, okay. easy, layup. Got to agree. Joaquin Phoenix was out standing in this movie and and here's why you hated him he did his job you said what I was going to You say. made a guy, like, he made everyone hate him. What else do you want from an actor at that point? Like, he's the Emperor of Rome, and you just, every time you saw him on screen, you just wanted him to get eaten by one of those plants in Mario. You know what I'm saying? Um, Piranha. Yeah, we're hard left turn here. Um, and Russell Crowe just, there are so many amazing lines from that film that have become, like, endemic in society, and I don't think people even realize they're from Gladiator. Are you not entertained? Yeah, are you, you haven't not seen a meme. Enter- that included that you haven't been on the internet about but, selling insurance and someone's using uh, yeah the worst part about that line is it's so weighty in that scene and it's and it just there's a lot because he's villainizing the crowd that he's villainizing all paid the money crowd. To he's watch. villainizing ev- 
everything about Rome in that line. Yeah. And yep. and in turn, yes. in my opinion, villainizing a lot of things about popular culture in America. Yeah. Because these movies are still reflections, you know, people have agendas no matter, you know, what you think. But um God, Russell Crowe and Joaquin Phoenix were just they were at the at their absolute best in those movies. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of thoughts on Mel Gibson in Braveheart, but I'm just gonna say it. I don't think he was the right guy for that role. Okay. And I think it was a huge mistake for him to cast himself in that movie. Keanu Reeves instead? Yeah, Keanu would have, uh, <laughs> you'd have been like, whoa, whoa. I'm whoa. Scottish. I want to be free. <laughs> I'm so Scottish. I want to be free, but I want to surf. Where's my scotch? You know, that We're kind of, kind of in a Scottish jam. would have been so good, yeah. <laughs> like, wow, whoa. that's a hot take. I know Scott Foo. That is a really hot take. Let's not gloss over that. That is, for the it's listeners, a hot, that's a hot take. I mean, take. How, how far do you want me to go with that? I mean, this movie won a shit ton of Oscars. Well, we're talking about Top Cast Bill, so... No. All right. And Braveheart so, is a cultural, let's just say it, that it's a cultural phenomenon. I, mean, I that feel film, like it's a cultural phenomenon yeah. because of nostalgia, because watching this film again as a grown adult against some of the films that have come out after it, and even the films at the time, like, I just didn't feel, I felt like the Mel Gibson casting himself as the lead guy was self-indulgent, and it didn't work. And, it, and maybe at the time it worked because everyone loved Mel Gibson, but in retrospect, it didn't age well. Like, there's an early scene in the movie where Little William Wallace was the scene where he like watches his father die mm-hmm. and get and get cremated, and then the little girl who is the woman that he ends up right. falling in love with comes over and gives him a flower. Right, they're roughly the same age when they're adults. He looks an easy fifteen years older than her. I felt like his existence in that universe didn't translate correctly with what he was trying to portray. And this is all in retrospect. Or At should the time, they have just casted an older actress? Either, either yes, they cast an older actress. And that's where the self-indulgence comes in. It's like Mel Gibson as an older guy wants to be next to the super hot girl, you know, and uh, so... He still thinks he's Mad Max. Yeah, it's like, I don't mm. feel like there was an awareness of the fact that the dude was in his 40s when he made this movie. And I don't know, I, I admittedly don't know much about the history of William Wallace at this time, but I feel like that was a glaring inaccuracy in the portrayal of William Wallace. If if his wife at the time was supposed to be in her 20s and he's besting her by 15 years minimum, then I, I felt like, I just felt like Mel Gibson casting himself was very self-indulgent. You know, feel free to stab me to death on Reddit. I don't really give a rat's ass what if you, you want, say on there. If you're on Reddit and you want to draw and quarter fill, feel yeah, free. You can do it. I'm not going to read it and you're going to be screaming into the void so knock yourself out no that's an interesting point I, that hadn't occurred to me but that's a great point he just didn't it's look also accurate yeah in mm-hmm. retrospect he just looked old to me i did not buy mel gibson in that role now in the 90s i can see it mel gibson was like the male sweetheart of the american living room and it worked but in retrospect man i feel like that was a bad decision just gonna be real wow very hot it's he's also very hot in here. he's also he, he has the kind of face and the features and the skin tone that He's always looked 40. Yeah, like, I mean, he's, he's always he's a really good-looking guy. He's you a know. grizzled maniac. He's got the blue eyes. He's got the chiseled face. He's in great shape. But, like, he just looked old. He looked his age or older, you know? Given all the awards this movie won, I do want to just play a little devil's advocate. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but a weird, weird year for actor in a leading role that year. Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas was the winner. Richard Dreyfus was nominated for Mr. Holland's Opus. Anthony Hopkins, Nixon, Sean Penn, Dead Man Walking, and Massimo Trozzi, The Postman. Weird year for lead actor, and Mel Gibson wasn't even nominated, even though he got best film. He won, he, he won Best Director, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got Best Picture and Best Director. I'll, uh, I'm going to go Gladiator too. And Phil, I totally love your hot take. I love hot takes. 
I just love them. I hate that it's a hot I love take, it when though, they're because I, I put a lot of thought into that. I wasn't just like, no, you, you did. know, I fuck could tell. LeBron James. No. It was like, no. no. To, me, no to me, a hot take is when it's like a very subversive take. No, Okay, yeah. 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 I'm hot down with is, that. It's like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh, that's not, that's not what the masses would say. My response to your point. take was a hot take. My response. It was not thoughtful. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope you can forgive me. Uh, Phil- yeah. Philosophically speaking. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I go gladiator here, too. And, and I think what's interesting, I don't have any quips with Mel Gibson and Braveheart. I think he he does a fantastic job. And in the supporting cast, I do want to talk about a couple of really interesting castings that I was like, whoa, that guy is in this. He, there's a couple of really great that guys, but we're talking top bill here. I think... Ridley Scott asked a lot of his top bill cast in this. And you you talked about Joaquin Phoenix. I mean, I don't know how we can continue to, to talk about this discussion. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think Joaquin Phoenix is one of the best actors ever. Yeah. If not of our time. Hot take. That is hot. He's incredible. I mean, I think he does. And he's just incredible. He, I hated him so much in this movie. And it's not because I hated Joaquin Phoenix. He did such a good job making me. I didn't just hate him, Phil. I was disgusted with Commodus. Disgusted with his his every time That's why he was so good. Did you react this way? Every time he was on he every time he appeared on screen, my stomach was like, Oh, oh God, dude, please don't every say time anything. I just, just was, don't do anything. Don't cry again. Don't cry. Yeah, he was such he I hate to say this. I really hate <laughs> yeah. to say this. He was such a bitch in that movie. Yeah. But that's he why was. you hated him. It, that's but that's why he was so great. Yeah. I give it to Gladiator. They asked. They asked a lot, though. Ridley Scott had big plans for this cast. Um, so, and I think I think if, I know this is a weird way to say it. Braveheart was kind of a team sport. The the oh, supporting absolutely. cast and the extras did a great job making it look real and making me feel like we're fighting for freedom here. But again, it's it's kind of a nameless, faceless thing. We got Mel Gibson, a couple of really notable supporting casts, and then it's like down from there. Gladiator. I mean, Joaquin. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, Gladiator's walking all over fucking Braveheart. (laughs) Just walking all over. (laughs) Yeah. Best supporting cast. Now, Drew, do you want to help us with this? Everybody that wasn't (laughs) in the top, Bill. All right. You're welcome. Phil, why don't you kick us off? Best supporting cast. I still go with Gladiator here because of Jimon Hansu and... Connie Nielsen. She was outstanding. The guy who plays Marcus Aurelius, who also played... Richard Harris. Yeah, who who played Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potters. I feel like the supporting cast in Gladiator really made... Even just took that movie a step further. Like, yeah you've got Russell Crowe who's killing it and you've got Joaquin Phoenix who is killing it and then you've got Jimon Hansu uh, forgive me world for saying his name wrong probably Jimon Jimon um, he's amazing in everything he's in and he really sells it the guy who plays Proximo Oliver like Reed. are you kidding me Oliver that Reed. that's not take away from Braveheart I actually to me the gem of Braveheart was the supporting cast there was a consistent front line on the battlefield which could have been construed as cheesy but they also provided recognizable faces and they did a really great job of, of showing fear, but also resolution in those moments. But from an acting caliber perspective, I believed every moment of Gladiator versus Braveheart where it was a little tenuous. So I go Gladiator on that. Yeah, I go Gladiator too for a lot of the same reasons. I think, again, it's really not the fault of Braveheart. I just think everybody on Gladiator had a task. You know what I mean? Like the supporting cast was asked. The fact that Oliver Reed is considered supporting is pretty crazy because to me, he's like the best actor in the movie. No 
discredit to Joaquin. I, I think Joaquin's one of the best ever. But Oliver Reed as Proximo is just like so good. Oh, it's a, you, you're in. He's kind of the redemption factor in this movie. So he carries that weight as a supporting character. Even the kid. And then you got Connie Nielsen as Lucilla. And like her son, I thought her, even her kid, you know, Lucilla's son. Yeah, he was great. I thought he was great because when he talks to, when he talks to Maximus while he's in jail and he's, he doesn't know at the time that that's Lucilla's son. Incredible. So yeah, this goes gladiator. Drew hasn't given his perspective. Say, do you want to ask? We, yeah, just, ahead, we just pissed all over Sorry. Drew's existence. It's fine. Nobody gives a shit about what Drew thinks. I'm just kidding. To me, I mean, everything you guys just said, There's, I don't need to repeat it, but I'll just add, Connie Nielsen broke my heart. Like, I just felt yes. like she she portrayed a woman who was so, who felt so trapped. And I feel like that just, you could tell she had been through it with her brother before. She couldn't even mourn the loss of her own father because of what might have been able to happen, like what mm -hmm. could have happened to her and then her son. And there's, it was just, she just felt like she was trapped. The room just kind of kept closing in on her at every turn. And I believed it. That sold me on the supporting cast. It's easy to forget about her character because of the big cast, but she does a great job. Well said. And our uh, Facebook group agreed. Resounding victory for Gladiator. No D way. Double hey. What was the percentage? Uh, for job, Gladiator won top bill cast. 66% voted for Gladiator. Wow. Uh, supporting 75% went to Gladiator. Wow. So good job, Facebook group. Good you, job, listeners. You agree with us. We you, like you more now. You're on the good team. First bro category, whose army are you going to join? Phil, you kick us off. You going to join the army of Maximus or are you going to go with Wallace? I love Maximus as a leader, but man, my heart is with the Scottish people and that march toward independence and freedom. So on principle, I would go with the Scottish army. I, while I was watching that movie, I wanted to be there in that fight with them. The one thing that uh, Braveheart did really well was deliver that feeling of oppression yeah. on those Scottish people. Like the Prima Nocta thing is just disgusting. And the guards thought they could do whatever they wanted they, with the oh, women. And, dude, like yeah. they just, the bravado of England at that point was really portrayed very well. And mm. it just made, it grossed me out. And like, I wanted to be there with the Scots fighting with them. But however, I, I like uh, Maximus as a commander a lot better. But overall, I'm, I'm with the Scottish army on principle. I, I think both of these movies have, they just demonstrate great leaders. The lead actors are guys you want to get behind. But I think I would go Braveheart strictly because there's some there's some modern parallels I think like with American yes. like there's some leadership parallels that you just like fighting for freedom and you know the English is an obvious parallel like there's something about like just wanting to fight for freedom and your family and you know what else is there really mm -hmm. like is is life even worth living if you can't be free so I go Braveheart yeah I go Braveheart too I love how scrappy the Scots are oh dude I yeah, just that was love great. the scrappy I mean Maximus great war general strategic you know, but he is kind of part of the system, even though he's against the system. Uh, yeah, he's he kind was of part the system. Of, he I mean, was he the system. represented the Roman Empire. Wallace, he is a scrapper. He's a he's a civilian. Like he's nobody. He yeah. doesn't really come from a, a lineage. I love how they get behind him. And like I said earlier in the intro, like I wanted to, even though I couldn't relate to the time, I couldn't relate to the struggle because of the time we're in. I was like, I'm with you. I'm a sucker for the underdog. Totally. Time. But as a strategist, you probably are better off behind Maximus. But boom, Wallace You're was a real person. So. Notch one for Braveheart. Yeah, the fans agreed. They also went with man. Are what they just shit, on, dude? Have they just been listening to the show so long? They're okay, just... movie warriors. Okay, yeah, we like movie you. warriors. Dude, I love our Facebook warriors. Group. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> it's better than amazing. I like going on there and reading uh, your all's comments. You guys bring a lot of thoughtfulness to the table, and I really enjoy reading it. So yep. thanks for being a amazing. Thanks for joining us on this journey. It's it's very honoring. We got a two to one gladiator brave 
part so far. I love this category. More cringe. Who's the cringiest? We got Commodus versus Longshanks. King Ooh. Edward Longshanks. Both cringy in their own ways. Oh, so cringy. I'm going to go ahead and kick us off here. Do it, man. Longshanks, some of the stuff he does, the way he runs his organization, also, the torture. Longshanks. What a weird what name. A bullshit That's name. kind what a of bitch. his most cringy thing is his yeah. name. Longshanks. My Longshanks. shanks are so long. <laughs> I mean, How long are they? Why don't you fucking tell me, How asshole? do you get not kick, get your ass kicked in school? It's like, yeah, go ahead, Longshanks. My name is Longshanks. <laughs> uh, his ghost is going to haunt us now. I kind of feel bad for Longshanks here, though, because Commodus may be one of the cringiest characters we've ever seen Agreed. in cinema. Played by one of the best actors we've ever seen. So you got the best actor doing the most cringe. It's it's not even fair. You could put anybody in this slot, they're going to lose. It's really not really about com or about Longshanks as much as it is. I am thoroughly disgusted just by the sight of Commodus entering the, the 4K television that I own. I'm like, oh, not again! Yeah. When he cries about oh. stuff? Yeah, th that's one one nitpick I have about Ridley Scott is he, I feel like he wanted the viewer to feel bad for him in a way. I never did, though. You don't yeah, you never do, but I feel like Ridley never wanted did. us to, especially when he was like, my virtues were never on your list, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just like, fuck you. Know, well, you're you, a shitty you son, shit. so I'd have probably thrown you the wolves. Yeah. If you're lucky you've lived this long, you know? Yeah, I don't get, <laughs> I don't get the... I don't have remorse for him, or I don't have empathy. I have, like, he's a petulant child. That's my reaction. Agreed. hundred percent. I don't know. I feel like Ridley, yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I do feel like maybe Ridley Scott wanted us to loathe him, and that's why the crying and the... You, you might be right, though. Do you, you don't think he one. wanted us to feel sorry for him? I actually agree with Kyle on this one. I don't, I don't think I don't so. know that I he wanted us to feel sorry I think he wanted us to be disgusted by this authoritarian, Here's powerful emperor. In, We're like, in episode 11 at this, or 12 at this point, right? Is this 12 or 11? I don't know. Who cares? Ridley, what were you trying to do there, brother? Are you alive anymore? Is he dead? No, he's 84. Know. He's definitely yeah. homeless. And he's making Dude, another alien on. movie. What? As we speak. I want to see it. Okay. I think you wanted us to feel empathetic towards That's an interesting take. I don't necessarily I disagree with you, but I, I also, I, I want to know what he would have thought. Tell us, Ridley. Yeah. I know you listen to our podcast. Did you give your answer? Commodus is the most cringy character of any movie of all time, I think. Agreed. He makes Buffalo When Bill he was laying in there with his, oh, by the way, is that his son? But Lucilla's. I don't think it's. Lucilla's no, I don't son. think it is. I don't no. think. I don't think he was in the rape mood at that point. I don't point. know. There's a lot of stuff there. Yeah, there is. Yeah, a, a lot, lot of incest. There's some history there because he want. Obviously, he wants to be with his sister, but the way he approaches it makes it feel like he had been with his sister. Because mm. she was like, "Are you still? Are you still afraid of the dark?" And he was like, "Still, always." Wow. Like, they've been together. Trust me. Yeah. And then he was just like laying with this guy and like this kid, and then like telling him stories and like. I, I don't know. He just, I mean, he, he was cringe. creep vibe times 100. Yeah, so. everything, yeah. like pedophilia, yeah. uh, the whole thing. Like, yeah. I vote Commodus, was... hand is raised. Commodus. Yeah. yeah, this is, and again, it could have been anyone versus Commodus and they're going to lose because Walking yeah. Phoenix really delivered the cringe here. What our Facebook people say? Our Facebook people. If they didn't say Commodus, then I question It was Commodus by a wide margin, <laughs> 78%. Woo! Yeah, I think we all I want to, I, I honestly, and this is, this is true, I want to know the rationale behind people that picked Longshot. Because maybe you're seeing something I'm not. And Could have been I'm, the torture. I don't. That's know. how he runs his organization. That's how he, 
if you look at yeah. the, if you look at England as his con- as his company, you know that's how he reprimands traitors. Yeah, by cut cutting off their genitals and burning. I'm the them. That's lowest cinemaphile of this group. So tell me, you know, C- cinemaphile or cinephile? Well, that should tell you all you need to know. That's a I didn't even get I the word right. Cinephilia. Yeah. Cinephilia. <laughs> okay, this bro category: Wallace versus Maximus. Sometimes these are a little lopsided when you got the two action hero. That is that kind of really flips, tough? Kind of flips it on its head. Yeah, uh, yeah. Mel Gibson and Russell Crowe completely separate from this conversation. They don't exist. Okay, just their character tr- yeah, caricatures. William Wallace, down. I think, is the more compelling leader. And I, like I said earlier, I think there's some modern parallels with America. I mean, modern, like, but like with just the U.S. breaking off from England for our freedom. Like, I, there is something about him that just the way he rallied people. Like, I'm gonna go Braveheart. Are we talking like one-on-one, hand-to-hand kind one of thing? One-on-one, and it doesn't just have to be physicality. It can be like Drew talked about leadership. It can be their attributes. Their I feel like the way William Wallace definitely had a scrappy leadership quality to him, where it was he who was so convicted on his stances that he was able to literally inspire thousands of people. But I don't know that I feel like Maximus would have taken him down. I feel like Maximus is just he's too seasoned, he's too trained. Like mm. that training in the Roman army just goes deep, and I feel like it wouldn't taken much for Maximus to dispatch William Wallace. Yeah. Leadership qualities William Wallace sure. all day long. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, Maximus had the support of his army and they loved him and they rallied behind him at the end there. Man, Maximus, I feel like he is like the warrior of warriors from that time period. Yeah, I love the scrappiness. I'm a scrapper. Like, these guys know when I watch basketball, I love my favorite player of all times, Dennis Rodman. I love watching him dive to the sideline to save a ball that's not going to lead to anything points-wise, but he does it and I love that. I love Patrick Beverly. I love the scrappiness. <laughs> I love scrap. I, I live to scrap. You don't yeah. give a scrap. I don't give a scrap. <laughs> but what Drew, what Phil said was perfect. And here's what I go to when Maximus improvs when they start to fight. I mean, all of a sudden he's chained up with another dude. They got horses running around with javelins and they got animals. Like the elements are just being thrown at him. Not to downplay, you know, England versus, you know, William Wallace's army, but it was let's run straight at each other. Yeah. In that little circular area, Maximus is strategizing. He's He's like a quarterback. He's Peyton Manning. The part where he commands the people to... Like, commands a bunch of brigands for, you know, to use a word from Braveheart, to uh, basically take down this well-orchestrated with the, you know, the the people that had the blades on their wheels and shit. Yeah. Like, he executes that perfectly and gets a bunch of people who don't necessarily, mm. like, deeply respect him at that point to follow him. He's like, if you want to live, you'll stick together. And yeah. he gets them all to do it. Yeah. Whatever comes out of those gates. Remember that line? Yeah. yeah. It was good. So that's why, we'll I mean, be for me, we that's stick why. Together. And the helmets, and, and we'll get to this a little later, but the do you guys just like are a little freaked out by the way gladiators look with those those smooth helmets oh, and the their attire is freaky. And to me. can you imagine being even though he's got prowess right. as a general, those people coming out with their armor that looks like it's kind of feels like you're seeing some kind of physical symbol for hell. Maybe I'm and maybe because I played Hell Cab as a kid. Remember Hell Cab? And <laughs> no, they drive I don't. And, and the devil is driving the cab and he takes them to a Roman gladiator arena. <laughs> but it's like this hellish scape. I mean. It's just crazy. Anyway, yeah, I give it to Gladiator again, though. I love the scrappiness. I love the Patrick Beverly-ness of... (laughs) 
Wallace. <laughs> Patrick getting a couple of shout outs. This was a closer one. Maximus won by one vote on this one. So wow. yeah, it was 55%. They they also went with man, we're on par with our team. We know our we know our team. Our so you both went Maximus. We did. Yeah. It was tough though. Oh, I love this category. And and we talked about a lot of the special features earlier. So this it's really important to lean on that understanding here. Best depiction of battle. We got two epic films of massive scale. Both directors went all out here. Drew, kick us off. What is the best depiction of battle when you're watching like whoa i think the hand-to-hand combat stuff is better in braveheart and granted there are some times when arrows are hitting people and it doesn't really time up with when the arrows were shot and all that stuff there's some there's some in the continuity stuff doesn't always work but i think the the hand-to-hand battle and when they're ramming the log through the gate like braveheart comes in real strong i think with that that said that opening scene with gladiator with just the trebuchets and you know like it's just the the scale of it all in Gladiator, yeah, I think, the enters when they're taking a whole new Germany. echelon. So if you could do hand to hand, if if it was just hand to hand, I'd say Braveheart. If it was like all of it, I would say Gladiator. So I guess the category is all of it, and the hand to hand stuff in Gladiator is also great. The those the arena things, you know, ch- beheading like chariot drivers and stuff, like it's it's great in Gladiator. So I'll go Gladiator. Gladiator, just because I was more bought in to the Coliseum scenes, but Braveheart did a really great job with some of the battle scenes I, I i still feel like i hate hate to say this they could have been a little more graphic with it but yeah gladiator to me just i i was more bought into those battle scenes to me the battle scenes in braveheart were kind of like a uh courtesy to the fact it's like you know a battle's about to happen so they show you a bunch of it so to get you hyped and take up some time and make the movie longer but gladiator i think that wins mm-hmm. the category like those coliseum scenes were just you couldn't look away they were so engaging you would be shocked but they took a lot of violence out of braveheart they actually cut a lot. I believe it because they, yeah. yeah, they actually felt that it made it more violent because they reduced the gore. Um, they were like, "We got to get rid of this violence," and then they did, and they're like, "Wow, it still feels really violent, even with all the stuff we removed." Apparently, it was it was more grotesque. I was gonna go Braveheart here again. This is by a hair because uh, they're both great, but with Braveheart, there are a few nods to historical accuracy. Apparently, there was a, a Scottish army like fifth century. I, I and I'm gonna butcher this. I'm not a historian, ladies and gentlemen, but apparently there were Scottish armies that fought stark naked. And even though they're not naked in, in Braveheart, they flash their genitals and moon the crowd. There were Scottish armies that fought butt naked in history. Like it's, that's, I was reading about that today. There were historical armies. So I love the little nods. You know, they, they did some things to try to be historically accurate. That's where it has a little bit of an advantage over Gladiator because Gladiator, although very based in reality, is a fictionalized tale, but it's, it's by the hair, but it doesn't matter. You guys win Gladiator. So we got a five to one Gladiator here. That was a staunch Braveheart by the, the Facebook group. That was yeah, bitches are wrong. That was eighty eight percent to eleven. Well, of our sorry, people. Wow. that's why you're not on this I podcast. I love Lupin in the Facebook group. I do yeah. too. I love that's that awesome. they're involved. That's why you're on a Facebook group and not a podcast. I just insulted our whole family. Oh. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this time to just thank our listeners. Yeah, for, thank you guys. You, you guys really appreciate you. Guys. Love you. We've used this category before. We typically pull this category out for films that transport us time wise. What is yes. the best time transport? What takes you back to a place you're like? Oh my gosh, this is what it felt like. Phil, you want to kick us off on this one? (laughs) 
Gladiator. I, I bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. I feel, I don't know, I don't know historically where Gladiator fell on the time spectrum of the Roman Empire, but I felt like there was a, a decline happening because when you just allow, when you like win the favor of the public by just treating them to violence on a massive scale, I feel like you're on the way down. Once again, watching Gladiator, I felt like I was there. Watching Braveheart, I felt like I was watching someone's interpretation of that situation versus mm -hmm. being there. So I go Gladiator again. I think for a realistic transportation, I would say Braveheart. I feel like there was a fantastical element happening with Gladiator. And maybe it was the spiritual scenes where he was, you know, kind of like, you know, fantasizing about being with his family again. But like there, that felt like another world a little bit that drew yeah, on what that. happened in real life. Whereas Braveheart felt like they're really just trying to go back. It was trying to be more realistic. Mm -hmm. I think I give this to Braveheart. Just, cool. just to be like the most realistic transportation yeah. to the I don't past. disagree with your reasoning. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No, I don't disagree either. And I, I went Gladiator again by air. I think the realistic element is there too. I think for me, it was kind of the visualization of something I read about in school. You know, you study Rome in college, in high school. Ridley Scott brought this thing to life. And again, I talked about it earlier, but I was really haunted by what some of these gladiators wore. Their attire was their helmets and their, their shields and stuff. It all had a very specific look. And it really, it kind of, I, I was thinking about, I'm a big uniforms guy. I love the NFL. Drew, you love the NFL. It's weird though. We talk about uniforms a lot. Like we were watching the finals this week. We were like, what do you think about those throwback unis or whatever? It's like that was the sign that this was an investment. Yeah, this is slaughter, but we want them to look a certain way. We want mm. this to have a look. And yeah. it transported me there because it really took me back to the fact that this was entertainment. There were children watching. This is what we do to pass our time. I mean, they did that when they tortured Wallace too. But again, I agree with Drew that Braveheart was the more realistic one, but um, glad Gladiator gets it for me because it visualized something that I was always really curious about. It's like Vikings. Anytime totally. someone, anytime someone like shows me what Vikings actually look like and what they did, I'm like, whoa. I give it to Gladiator, but you know, by the edge. The Facebook group, they were heavy, heavy-handedly brave, Braveheart. Again, 88%. I feel like there's a nostalgia factor to that because I, I'd love Attaboy to know how group. many people have yeah. seen Braveheart lately. I think it just depends on how you interpret the question. Yeah. Did you enjoy where it transported you? That's Gladiator for yeah. sure. Better transportation. Agree. To yeah, an actual that, yeah, time, sure. Braveheart. No, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I mean, Braveheart is one of those like one of the producers talks about in the special features that a football coach from a I can't remember if it was a college team or an NFL team walked up to him and he was at the same event. And he was like, we we play this speech from Braveheart before games <laughs> sometimes. Like mm. Braveheart is part of the culture. Yeah, it's a culture. sounds about right on it, brand. It was embedded. It's it's one of those things. It's like leadership. You see all these you know things that we want to see in ourselves. Just both of these movies are very much pregame, like throw up a scene oh, or a totally. quote here, you know. Like. Exactly. All right, cinematography. We don't always go cinematography because it's kind of a traditional traditional category. We try to, you know, make this fun, but these films had visuals. This, I mean, just yeah. out of this world, both visuals. One more CGI'd, but great CGI. You talked about how they only had a little bit of the Coliseum to work with, but they CGI'd the rest. They used roof panels and stuff, but we're seeing the background of Scotland and Braveheart. I mean, two different approaches, Oof. very visual. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, man, you could credit both because one didn't have the luxury of using CGI as much. And mm -hmm. then, you know, four to five years later, you had really groundbreaking stuff happening. So again, man, these categories, you could go either way. These movies are just, they're both so great and they both do what they do so well. I think I'm going to go Gladiator. You hear the the wife and the son scream and then you just like see their feet. And like, there's just like little like things that they do. That I'm like, wow, 
Like that's just that was like just enough to get the point across, but that I'm like I don't I didn't just see more. Like it was just very good. It complemented the storytelling very well. So I'm gonna say Gladiator. I I to me this one is no contest. Gladiator. I watched this with my wife and I couldn't like I probably annoyed the shit out of her. I I was just remarking constantly at the cinematography specifically in Gladiator. Like it looked so good versus Braveheart. There's something to be said about a movie that doesn't distract you with tricks and and visuals and things and that was Braveheart. Braveheart I was sold out on the story of the Scots fighting for their freedom but man Gladiator was just like I said earlier in the podcast it was a joy to look at and that is all about the cinematography and Gladiator just engaged me top to bottom the entire time and a lot of it was due to the visuals and it takes a lot for me to be into that especially these days when you can literally do whatever you want. There is yeah. There are no limits these days but back in 2000 there were still limits and they still watching this in 2021 it still completely engaged me so that's why i go gladiator i was kind of surprised i went gladiator too i'm i'm a sucker for scottish or irish backdrops you know even in modern films you see the beautiful greenery of the backdrop of ireland or of scotland and and i love that but you know ridley scott had a big responsibility here to transport us he had to take us to a place that doesn't exist anymore yeah we only have a quarter of the coliseum left you know rome is now a modernized city there's coffee shops and places to shop. I mean, it's, you know, it's still got historical districts, but he had to take us back to this place and I was in it. I felt claustrophobic. I don't know if you two did, but during the gladiator scenes, when the horses come out and the chariots and the tigers, I was claustrophobic. I was like, it's not just the fact that they're like, they're like bloodthirsty and fighting. They're in this circle, like they're contained. And you have citizens, you have people who are just citizens, children, whenever it's time to make the thumbs up or thumbs down, you have people, just normal people like that, that are poor or whatever. Or like thumbs down like they're like all of a sudden they feel empowered by dictating the Sport. life it's fun. Yeah. and it's fantasy and, football. Yeah, and I just can't say enough. There, there's such a thing as too much CGI. We've talked a lot about James Cameron, how he, he with T2, like, he set the stage. Even today, I say T2 is the threshold for CGI. And Ridley was so tasteful. They did such a great job. And, and Braveheart, again, of Scotland, such a beautiful backdrop. I've seen it before. They created an environment I just was blown away by. So this is Gladiator. Facebook. So we're seven to one within the studio here, but we do, that was a tight one. That was Gladiator by a response. Wow. Yeah, that was Gladiator, 55%. Larger sample size. Yeah. Let's get in, guys. Come on, it's people. tough. They're both beautiful. And you can't you can't beat the Scottish countryside. You no. just can't. Something about a castle. You see a castle, like, oh, there's a castle. Also, yeah. I, it's worth men- mentioning, I think that Gladiator is a much more warm, ambient-colored film. Mm-hmm. Braveheart is very cold and cool. Mm-hmm. and like Yeah, I agree. Lots yeah. of grays and like blues, whereas yes. Gladiator feels golden and warm. Well, Scotland as a whole is just... It's pretty r- rotten weather year-round. I mean, mm-hmm. they did a good job portraying that. Yeah, I don't remember the seeing the sun. Yeah, it was, ever. I mean, Scotland is cloudy Was the sun in that movie in the Top Bill cast? Uh, the, <laughs> I don't think so. Supporting cast, clouds, rain, lightning, bloodshed. Yeah, uh, you know, bowels all over the bowels. field. Yeah. Bowels! We got two categories left, and it's not looking good for Braveheart. It is a 7-1 yeah. to one lead. We're going to do a pretty middle-of-the-line, but I have a great bro category to, to laugh us out here. But Radical. This is an interesting one. We do this sometimes with directors, but Mel Gibson versus Ridley Scott. And I, I want to preface it that it's interesting that Mel Gibson is an actor-director versus Ridley Scott, who's never acted, uh, to my knowledge. So, Phil, you want to kick us off here? Yeah, he was dumb enough to cast himself in that role, so Ridley Scott by a landslide. I don't know if it was that Drew! way. 
<laughs> I think he was was he casted then direct? I can't remember. I'm not gonna say it now, but there was a process there. But you you think he was dumb enough to cast himself? Yeah, I, I talked about. I waxed. You did long. You don't have to. Do I waxed it again. long shanks about this earlier. You in the went podcast. long shanks. <laughs> yeah. You went on long shanks about yeah. it. But you're so you're going Scott <laughs> for as a director. <laughs> did Mel Gibson make Alien? Fuck Mel Gibson. Yeah, I know, but we're talking about these two films. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm I an alien lifer. I know. I'm an alien. Trust me. I'm. I have to. Prometheus, Covenant. I gotta eliminate all that. Blade Runner. But push <laughs> I, that out I'd of your mind. I'd rather watch Gladiator again. That's all I gotta say. Okay. Ridley. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just. Yeah. Push, I'm just pushing y'all. The Riddler. The Riddler. The Riddler. You said you'll never watch Gladiator again. No, no, no. I said I'd much rather watch Gladiator. That's the Scotch again. curve. And I love Scotland. And I love Scotch. Shh, and I love Scottish it's my people. Turn, so anyway, Phil. sorry. Shh, thank you. To me, this is Malcolm Butler intercepting the ball at the goal line against the Seahawks. This is this is Tom Brady with his second coming. I hope movie wars fans are sports fans. Just blowing in the doors like, oh hey guys, I'm not done yet. Not only am I not done, but I haven't made my my most epic film. Yeah, and I go Gladiator 2 again with my lifers. I'm an alien lifer. I feel like Ridley Scott showed me something with this film that I didn't know he could do. And I love that. He made me love these characters. I Proximo, I I, I love Maximus, but Proximo to me is this film. I Amazing, just, yeah. He's just great. He did something that he ha- didn't have to do with Alien as much, which is he created so many layers with characters. Like Alien, they're a crew, and there's like little deviations. But James Cameron is the one that took the Alien crew and Alien and gave them personalities and gave them deviation. So Ridley Scott to me, I mean, I, I love Blade Runner, I love Alien, but I, I haven't had to see layering with characters, but that is what Gladiator is from Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus all the way to Maximus. And I don't know if you notice this, but each prisoner that's fighting, each slave or each gladiator, whatever they're, the reason they became a gladiator, they each have a trait. It's almost like each is a trait of a, of a person. And it's like they together, they're one person and each is like the big bulky guy. He's the strength. Maximus is the heart and the leadership like there's humility like I feel like he created layers here that I hadn't huh. seen with Alien Interesting. which Alien is a perfect film to me it's a 100% but he did that and, and Braveheart has this too Braveheart has a lot of heart I'll say that it's all heart but I feel like great directing makes you care about all the characters everybody has an arc everybody has a purpose everybody yep. has like brings you in and wants you to root for them or hate them or feel something about them whereas Braveheart I felt with the mob yeah I want to root for William Wallace or I want to join that or and I also felt for William Wallace I'm like yeah I feel for him like mm-hmm. he lost his wife and he, you know his dad and all that stuff but that was it it was just mm-hmm. very just dualistic like boom boom there were two levels yeah. Gladiator you cared about everybody you cared about Commodus you cared about Maximus you cared about Connie Nielsen you know Lucilla you cared about the kid you cared about Marcus Aurelius you cared about you know Oliver Reed's character Every everybody involved Jaiman Hansu talked about seeing his family again and you had there was a moment where you're like, man, I hope he sees them again. Like every turn, you're feeling something about someone else. Yeah, you literally could not have said it perfectly. I mean, you just you just put the nail in the coffin. And I wanted to go to that scene and when Juba talks about he's talking to Maximus about he will see his family again. Yes. All of a sudden, Juba is carrying the emotional stone. Like we like him, you know. But I don't know about you guys, but I thought he was meat. I kind of thought like they're gonna attach a nobody to Maximus. Yeah. You know, he's gonna be. But they. But 
But Ridley Scott made the choice to say, this guy, when Maximus dies, he's going to carry the stone of emotion. And he's going to talk about his family. And he gives he gave him that responsibility. And he did it so well. Those are those layers. This is an easy gladiator for right. me. Facebook group, by a vote, they actually went Braveheart. That's how I feel, though. It's a hair. Just get hit by an arrow. That's why we pick yeah. great films. We don't pick, we don't put mediocre films versus great films. We put great I films versus great films. I think one of my favorite films. scenes in Braveheart was when the guy took an arrow straight into his ass cheek. Do you guys remember that? <laughs> Like, <laughs> yes. when he's like, oh, you know, it was like, it was so, yeah. yeah anyway. The arrows were prevalent. I mean, the real star are the arrows. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's eight to one, but we got one great category left. I feel weird. It feels like we gave Braveheart so much credit, yet it's getting its ass kicked. I mean, Maximus yeah, yeah. is well, just. because they showed their ass and they got heroes leading, through. What do you want? He's just leading the army of Rome into the heart of Braveheart. <laughs> I love this category. It's funny to me. Worst time to be a horse. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Let's be real. I've never seen such poor treatment of horses. I mean, you could argue Francis Ford Coppola and Godfather right, using a real horse a head. They a real horse head off in that one. But is, and this kind of takes away from the credibility of Braveheart a little bit when, when Mel Gibson rides that horse into the water and we see the dead horse floating. I'm just like, God! And then you got the, the, the chariots being led in Gladiator by horses and they're just meat. I mean, they're just being slaughtered and running into walls. I mean, it is not a good time to be a horse in either of these movies. Yeah. These are anti-horse. <laughs> these are pro-blue anti-horse films. Yeah. Phil, when is it worse to be a horse? I think it's worse to be a horse. Oh, man, this is this hard. Is, you can make a case. So I mean, <laughs> you can go either direction. In Gladiator, it's really terrible to be a horse because you're attached to these shitty wagons with blades on them, and you're just like, nay, pulling these people around the fucking Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. Like, Neighing all over the place and sounding like a horse. And then in Gladiator, you're being ridden by these. Every, everybody's just using you to get from one side of the battlefield to the other. Like Braveheart. Nobody. Yeah, sorry, Braveheart. Nobody cares about you, you horse. Like yeah. horses are sad to me because they're just big dogs. I mean, I credit my wife for that one. They're they're big dogs. They have like emotions. You can pet them, and they're friendly, and they get to know their owners, and then they have heart attacks and die, which we covered in freaking No Country versus uh, There Will Be Blood. Worst time to be a horse? Awful times to be a horse. Oh, Both God. I, I don't even... I, I need someone else to convince me. Someone else go. I'm just going to pass it I off. I feel like I could make a compelling case for either one. Exactly. Honestly. But here's the case I'll go with. I think because in Gladiator, they made a whole industry using animals... Yeah, that's where I was going, but I wanted to, to see where to you guys went. charge yeah. for tickets. I mean, people mm. wanted to come and see a, a lion eat a human, or they wanted to see chariots ride in and slay humans. Like, it was animals became an industry, you know, part of the whole entertainment business. So I think bef because of that, I'll go Braveheart. Wh what's the question? Worst time? Worst time to be a horse. So Gladiator. Gladiator. Gladiator yeah. is definitely worse. Yeah. I needed someone else to validate me. My, because the whole chariot thing, Well, you haven't heard too. my I mean, case yet, Phil. Like, ch like chariots, I, I feel like in Braveheart, they were mostly a form of transportation. In Gladiator, they, they were, were They were a killing machine, in a sense. I just needed someone else to validate Yeah, me. well, let me validate you. I, I go Braveheart here because it's just, to me, and I'm not even an animal lover, guys. I, I, I hate to say, I'm not anti-animal, but I'm not pro-animal. I think we have too many of them. Everyone is but different there is before a weird, Peter rises up against us. There's a weird thing there, and I don't know why this scene stuck out to me so much, but when he comes back, he's in the cabin and he kills the guy, and Wallace then decides he's gonna jump off the ledge. The horse, he just jumps off, and he then all of a sudden, there's 
there's a dead horse just floating in the water. I don't know. I just feel like, but all of a sudden Wallace just is like, I don't care about this horse. Like he could have gotten off and jumped off, but he said, we're all going. And that horse in the sight of that dead floating horse, just a little weird to me. Rough. I think it's, I think it's a little bit of a betrayal. I, I do think you guys are right in gladiator. The horses are just like, they're, they're just like, we're going to chop gladiator. the horse's legs off. I don't, I went Braveheart, but what do you feel after hearing Drew and I's argument? What do you think? Gladiator. It's the worst time to be a horse. You're an industry at that point. You're, you're an industry. Yeah, you're being used for entertainment. I feel like horses because they're big dogs. You know, they're they're empathetic to people. I'm making this all up as I go. How would horses um, feel if you said they're just big dogs? Uh, they'd probably be Did insulted by it, but dogs would probably be insulted that they're being compared to horses. Are there so, any you know? Kentucky derbies where horses or dogs are just being raced around with people no, on them? I don't know. Probably not. I don't know that there are dogs big enough to race horses. They're more like dinosaurs. Dino horse. Um, anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, I go Gladiator just because they were an industry versus a, a true cause in Braveheart. So Braveheart, better treatment of horses. Gladiator, shitty treatment of horses. Good job, Scottish. I got to say, Gladiator just freaking gladiated, whopped, just whopped Braveheart by yeah, a wide right. margin. This is the widest margin we've had on this podcast, nine to one. And I did delete some categories. This is crazy. I mean, I, I, I can't believe this. I mean, I feel like we gave a lot of credit to Braveheart, but Gladiator wins it. It's the test of time, whereas Braveheart, Mel Gibson was old. His eyes were yeah. great, though. I mean, this so is blue. like, I mean, Gladiator treated eyes. Braveheart like Commodus treats his sister in this. I mean, it's, we're, so anyway, we're going to, thank you, Facebook group, for contributing your answers. We this love is, you. We, Even if we fantastic. disagreed, we love you, but that's what this is all about. We're going to finish the way we always finish. What do we prefer? Drew, why don't you kick us off? What's your film? Gladiator. I think Ridley Scott revolved, revolved? Revived his career in a lot of ways by reviving a genre <laughs> that had been dead a long time. Braveheart, I think, influenced Gladiator in a lot of ways to, as well. Like with the hand-to-hand -hand combat, those were things that that hand-to-hand -hand combat, the choreography involved with pulling something off like that with thousands of soldiers, like that was something that was fresh, in my opinion, in Hollywood. Like that was a, that was a new thing. So to me, Gladiator is my favorite film, but both of them very, very necessary in the landscape. Gladiator, I want to watch it again right now. Don't want to watch Braveheart again in the end. I like Fair that. <laughs> I'm going to read a list of movies between Blade oh, Runner. God, how long is this fucking list? <laughs> my God, Bill. This is my job. <laughs> Who wants brisket? Oh. No, it's not that long. So, <laughs> so Alien 79, Blade Runner 82. Here are Ridley Scott's films between Gladiator and Blade Runner. Legend, Someone to Watch Over Me, Black Rain, uh, Thelma and Louise, 1492, Consequence of uh, Paradise, White Squall, G.I. Jane, and then Gladiator. And then he does God, Hannibal. movies no one cared about. I know. He says that this movie, he had never been excited as a, a for a movie as he had for this since Blade Runner. I gotta go Gladiator. I kind of thought the nostalgia of Braveheart was gonna win me over. It, yeah, it didn't do anything for me. It actually was worse. Yeah, and I just think they created a world that I want to be in. The curiosity of Gladiators got me. I love the story. I think Ridley Scott said, I'm gonna revitalize. I'm gonna put it all on the table here, and he did. I go Gladiator. Easy. All right. Well, we had a uh, we had a handily victory, and again, we don't, uh, we don't pick shitty films on this podcast. It was 9 to 1, but in our hearts. These are two great films. Thank you to the Facebook group for giving us, uh, you know, some answers to the scorecard. If you want to be part of the scorecard before, help us give some comparisons. Join the Facebook group, Movie Wars Podcast fans. And uh, hey, thank you so much. I love you guys. I'm Kyle. I'm Phil. And I'm Drew. Drew, come back and extraduce yourself. I'm Drew. Okay, thanks. Bye. Drew, Phil, and I want to thank you for hanging out with us on the Movie Wars Podcast. 
If you want to hang out with us until the next episode drops, find us on Instagram and TikTok, username Movie Wars Podcast. If you really love us and want to support us financially, we would love you back for it. Contributing to us on Patreon not only supports us financially, but it gets you access to private content that's not available to everyone. Thank you again for hanging out with Drew, Phil, and I. We love you. Have a great week.